in a moment, Pastor Don uh, will be preaching uh, for us and sharing the message. So I just wanted to read the scripture beforehand. Um, this week he wants to talk about Gideon, and I think we'll in for a nice treat. Um, this morning's scripture reading comes from Judges chapter 6, verses 1 to 12. Come, would you read this together with me? The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites, whose lands you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the loke and Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Ebrezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Good morning. Well, this is another one of those wonderful days that we gather together to focus on the Lord and ask for His direction in who we are. Um, I know that all of you are pretty much aware that I have, uh, my wife and I have three sons. Uh, we have uh, one that is in Texas and one that's in California, but currently in China. But basically, his base is California. And then we have Robert, who is here going to school at Regent. And um, our three sons, and I, so I won't try to I'm consider giving you a little game to figure out if you can decide who I'm speaking about, but I'll control that, that uh, temptation. But um, of my three sons, We have two that if the opportunity to ride a roller coaster comes along, they are ready to go. Which implies that we have one that uh, when the opportunity to ride a roller coaster comes along, that is sort of the last thing in the entire world that he desires to do. Today I'd like for us to look at the people of Israel as we look at their witness. But I'd also like for us to constantly ask ourselves as we look at their lives where we are in the story. As we look at the people of Israel, we have to realize that spiritually they were constantly on a roller coaster. Up and down, up and down, good and bad, success and failures, closeness to God, distance from God. Under Deborah, one of the judges, the people had 
fallen very much back in line and focused back on who they were. You know, to me, I don't know how you are, but to be a, one of the people of Israel, to know clearly that you're God's chosen people, you're special, God has loved you in a very unique way and cared for you, should have resulted in people daily getting up and saying, Praise God, I have one more day to walk with you as my guide. But for some reason, the people of Israel, again, being in a sinful, fallen world, just like you and just like me, seem to have a difficult time remaining clearly focused and faithful toward God. And even though they had a number of years under Deborah as a judge, that things were going well. As soon as she was out of the picture, the Scripture says in chapter 6, verse 1, that indeed, again the Israelites did what the Lord said was wrong. And so set for seven years, he said, okay, so be it. You live the life you have chosen and see where it takes you. So again, the roller coaster spiritually had gone to the depths. They had been riding well with God and somehow they divided themselves. To many, today, I'd say many of us know the basic story of Gideon. Um, indeed, even in our own church, we have a youth program that uh, we have referenced constantly to the, the, the Gideon fellowship group of our younger people. And so Gideon, in that sense, is significant, but I want us to think about the fact that Gideon lived at a time when Israel was in some of its uh, worst days uh, in its division from God. And indeed, even though they knew they were a called people, somehow the people of Israel had backed away and had fallen back into the worship of idols. And the Scripture says that, that Gideon's own father was a primary leader in guiding that kind of worship toward Baal. And the Scripture goes ahead and it says that the people of Israel were living at a time when other nations were coming in and would come into their area, steal all their food, take away their animals, and treat the people of Israel in the lowest of the low as far as their standard and how they were being handled. And the people were, were oppressed under the Midianites specifically. And, and we see that in the Scripture that, indeed, Gideon was not the great academician. He was not the great um, theologian of their day. He did not have a position of power. He was just an Israelite working, trying to provide, trying to keep life going forward. And so it says that he was threshing. He was working with the, the wine press. He was working in the field. He was out doing whatever he could to try to keep his family functioning. But it says that they were living in caves in some very oppressed environment, trying just to avoid conflict and fighting because according to the Scripture, the masses of people that came in when the Midianites would come in, they just took over like locusts. And so every year, the people of Israel were watching this happen, and they didn't know exactly how to function. But one of the interesting things when we think about Gideon was his father 
who had become a worshiper of Baal and had guided others' worship of Baal, uh, resulted in, even though Gideon was technically very much tied to the chosen people of God in his identity, in his race, in fact, he had not had a wonderful modeling as a son. His father had modeled worshiping idols. You know, I, I don't know about your own family situation, but I've been around many families that had children who were grown children, but still felt a sense of um, unfairness about life because their mother and father were not Christian. So I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I, oh, poor me. I had to struggle in my understanding of God. Still, we're trying to establish a Christian family, and we don't exactly know how. My wife and I are both Christians, but since her mother and father were not Christians, and my mother and father were not Christians, we just don't know the exact model. Oh, poor me. Certainly Gideon had a right to say, oh, poor me. Because he was in a situation where his father was a primary leader toward worshiping Baal. He didn't have a clue of what it was to allow Jehovah to truly guide his life. Now, he knew his history. He knew who they were historically, but he knew that functionally in his life he had not experienced any focus on God. And so Jehovah God was not his guide. And yet I find it so fascinating to watch that for all of these years, there have been so many things going on, coming in, coming out, and yet he's trying to cope with, with who he is, and yet God, for some unknown reason, certainly would not match my rationale, God chose him to be a Savior for his people. Now, I don't mean in the same sense as Jesus, but God chose him to be a primary person to help his people. Um, you would think that God would choose differently than that. I have a good friend of mine that uh, a number of years ago was put in prison overseas because of his faith and his evangelistic ministry. He continued to go forward and people continued to ask him to stop. The government demanded that he quit doing evangelism and outreach. And he said that he could not do that because that would be unscriptural. So he stayed focused. But the result of staying focused was that he did end up suffering and going to prison. But his call was what gave him clarity. And I think that's the same thing. If it had been me, I learned later that my friend in China um, had been chosen by his particular, we'll call it a denomination. They had a couple of million people within their house church network. He was chosen to be the primary leader while he was in prison. And for me, that was a strange idea because I know that most churches would not be going to find their next pastor by asking where the local prison was. But for that particular guy in that particular environment, the reason he was in prison was because of his commitment to God. And yet, when I look at why God chose Gideon, it certainly is a different way of choosing than I would choose. My way of choosing would have probably been to say, let's go to the seminary. Or let's look at the other churches and see if there's any pastor that's willing to change. There are all kinds of thoughts there. 
But the idea of actually going and finding someone that doesn't even respect you being God, I can't imagine how God placed that particular one. But remember the people of Israel at this point were very much a very ragtag nation, a very confused one. And yet, even as we look in chapter 1, verses 11, 12, 13, 14, long in there, we can see that indeed God has said to Gideon, you are special, I can use you. You can become a mighty warrior for me. The call of Gideon was pretty impressive. Uh, I don't know, though, how you feel about call, the meaning of call. But think about it for a moment, if you will. Paul was walking down a road, and the call came when a light from heaven just flashed down upon him and, and asked him a question. Why are you persecuting me? Why aren't you following me? That was a very much a miraculous type of call that Paul experienced. When we think about Moses, Moses was called in a very unique way as well. Moses was chosen, and yet Moses had a brother. I mean, God said to Moses, I want you to serve me. I want you to be my speaker. I want you to get out there and tell me. And he said, uh, uh, I can't talk very well. He had excuses ready to go. And God ended up having to sign his brother to help him. And so Aaron became Moses' primary helper because Moses also had questions related to what God was saying. Jonah, we think about Jonah's call. Jonah's call was very clear. God said, go to this particular people in Nineveh and do ministry. And Jonah said, not a chance. I want to go my way. I want to be concerned about who I want to be concerned about. I don't want my own people, the people of Israel, to be mad at me for reaching out to people who have been bad to us in the past. The call of God is unique, but the point I want to make for you and for me is that whether it's David dealing with Goliath or Peter and being called up by Jesus, where Peter's just a fisherman, again, not a seminarian, doesn't matter who it is, that when the call of God comes, it's on the person that God chooses. It's not who you choose. It's not our rationale. It's not our logic. It doesn't demand they have a certain degree in their history for studies. The call of God is because God believes He has a way of using it. It's not what we think, it's what God thinks. So God's calling is very, very special. And it's something that I want to say to you and to me that we must all be open to. God can call any of us in this room to serve Him in any way He pleases. The question is not God's call. The question is our response. In Gideon's case, he was called of God and, and was told that he would be a mighty warrior for God's purpose. And yet, even Gideon... Yeah, I mean, again, think about his background. He's sort of a, a right. Uh-huh. Really, God? Me? Are you sure? Tell you what, let me ask you to do a couple of things, kind of prove that you've chosen the right person. I'm not even 100% sure, you know, that you're, you're really who you say you are. Maybe, maybe not. So God has got these angels, a couple of angels having a conversation with him, and he says, well, how about giving me just a little bit of proof that you guys are really from Jehovah God? 
that, that you really are presenting me the right message. He's a little bit insecure with the, the picture. So he's asking for a little proof. And, you know, it, God could have had a response and said, you know, if you're going to ask for that much proof, I'm just going to go get someone else who has better faith. But for some reason, again, remembering Jonah, God likes choosing people that are a little bit of a challenge. Maybe you're one of those people that's a little bit of a challenge. God's not afraid of a challenge. He likes that. He likes to bless those who didn't expect the blessing. You know, some of us walk a path that we assume, I am so holy and I'm doing such a good job in my service that God, of course, will choose me to do this or to do that, to serve in this committee, to serve in that committee. And God looks at it and says, you know, this may be fun. I'm going to choose this one. I'm going to choose that one to serve. Because I have a way of blessing their life in a way they can't even expect. And it's going to be so much fun. So the call that was given to him was, was a kind of a missionary call, if you want to, because he was suddenly told by God, do whatever you want to. Ask what you want. I know. How about this thing of, we'll, we'll let you put some meat down and put a little bit of bread down and, and, and I'm just going to, you know, these angels are going to burn that up. And when it does, that will, that will shake you up a little bit and make you think a little bit that maybe I really am who I said I am. And then gradually Gideon says, uh, 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 can you give me a little bit more proof? So the scriptures, you read through chapter 6 and into chapter 6, you get on down there and he says, okay, I've got this thing, there's a, I want to put this fleece down, this little, this little uh, piece of uh, cloth down on the ground. And we're going to put this down, and I want you to, uh, I, I want to ask you, God, if you wouldn't mind doing this for me, just so I can really believe that I'm getting the right treatment here. Well, I, I want to put this out and, and see if you'll do a couple of things for me. And one time, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to have you uh, leave that be dry, and all the land around it be wet. And the next time, I'm go, or the first time, then I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put it down and I want it to be wet and all, I mean, I want it to be dry. And Anyway, one time it's dry, one time it's wet, and the land around it is the opposite for these couple of times as they're working on this. And he says, that, that'll help me a lot. And, of course, it happens. And why God had the patience to put up with trying to prove him that and help him with it, I have no idea. But God did. And he's trying to say in a special way to Gideon, I care and I put my call on your life. Now as we continue to look from a call, we can see that there was a job description. This job did not come without responsibility. Again, remember Gideon's walk with God was not one of these that his discipleship had grown up having been in a classroom and he had studied, I have to do this every day, do this and he had grown up being a Baal worshiper. His father had taught him well how to honor idols. But he didn't have a clue how this was going to work out following God and serving Him. You know, I would say to you and say to me, if we're going to look at a lesson here, many of us don't have a clue as far as where God is going to take us. But if we'll just be courageous enough to allow God to be our Lord, He will guide us in paths that will be exciting, meaningful, valuable. You don't want to have just another life here. 
You don't want to look back and say 40 years later, well, we went through a few things. It was okay. You want to look back and say, God did some significant things in my life and allowed me to walk with Him and be used by Him. Again, this is a scripture here where we can see Gideon does some amazing things. We see some wonderful things in his life, and we're going to look at those in a few moments. But the thing we've got to remind ourselves of over and over and over, this story is about God, not about Gideon. This is about what God did. Because indeed, if we were dependent on Gideon, God would have never chosen that kind of a person in the first place. But God wanted through a weak individual who had been a Baal worshiper to prove that he loved people and cared about people and wanted to see the people of Israel come to him. He wanted an average Joe, so to speak, to function. And that's who Gideon was. So we look at the, the, uh, the JD or the TOR for him, and we have to remember the Midianites had about 120,000 of them that would come floating through in a massive way into their area. Safety for the people of Israel was a thing of the past. And yet God had told Gideon, I will be with you if you will depend on me. I will be with you. Go forward, mighty warrior. Fear not. Brothers and sisters, I would say to you and say to me, BCBC, we've got to go forward with expectation. We've got to go forward with dreaming. We've got to be risk takers to ask ourselves, why did God place us here? I don't believe He placed us here to be a comfortable club. I think he placed us here to be salt and light, using our creativity to reach out in his name. And so the Lord says to him, now, here's your job description. You have to remove false things, false religion, idols, whatever. Replace them with that which is true, an altar. The, you, you have to replace the current idol altar with a new one, and you'll, you'll, you'll slay a new bullock, and that one will be there to present as new worship toward me. It's a deeper confirmation of servanthood uh, the, the, before the major battle that they had coming up. They were still insecure. There was still a, a level of concern, even though Gideon was saying, I've had got a call on me, and I'm sharing that call with you, and we as a team can go forward and serve. And in verse 14, we can back up and see the overarching issue, and that is to save the people. He'd been called, he'd been selected, he'd been chosen for a purpose. Is our world so greatly different from that of Israel? We look at, at Joash, his father. His father had guided him in the best way that he knew, but he had guided him in the wrong direction. And they had found that which the world had defined as valuable and good and successful. And that was a kind of an idol that had become very much part of their lives as Baal had become their focus. I would say to you today that our world needs a Savior. And you and I know who that Savior is. In his day, Gideon, began to grasp that their world needed a change. They needed someone to help them. And God says, I've chosen you, Gideon, for a purpose. 
Brothers and sisters, I hope you will pray today for the opportunity to be one who has been chosen like Gideon. It's a scary idea if you're dependent on yourself. It's an exciting idea if you know all it represents is that you are building a closer relationship with God. God is the focus, not Gideon. It is our role to be missionary with our lives. That was something that Gideon was growing and understanding. Uh, he Again, he had no training. Don't blame your family. Don't blame your background. Don't give excuses to anything. We all start somewhere. You may be the first Christians in your family. Praise God. The question, though, for you and for me is, what am I doing with that relationship? In his case, he was saying, I'm coming back to Jehovah. And yet in the story, we can see as a description for what he has to do. Great challenge, because his father is still a Baal worshiper at this point. But his father knows the name Jehovah. He knows history enough. You know, I've lived in Asia for a long time, and we have these nice little things, uh, little clubs that exist that... that identify various people from various parts of China. And so the Chu Jiao Wei or the Seyap Wei or the whatever kind of little group, they have these nice little... And we've got some of them that actually right here in our own city. It's a place where people from a particular part of China could come together. Now, historically, it was much stronger than it is today. But those groups would identify. Well, the people of Israel were the same way. And that's why we see some of the names that we do in chapter 6, 7, and 8. Because they had their own little clan, their own little village identity. And yet, overall, their identity was as a part of the people of Israel. And so, they understood theoretically, and in history they could identify. And, his, and, and Gideon's father, Joash, was very clear on this. And yet, for so many years, he had been guiding and being a part of Baal worship. And so suddenly, when... God says to Gideon, I want you to go in and tear down the altar, that which is false, and I want you to put up something that's true, and that is worship to Jehovah. There's a danger involved. So if the Scripture says that Gideon went in by night with ten of his friends, and they tore down the altar, they put up a new one, they did a sacrifice for Jehovah, and so everything was changed. It was a complete new thing. But they knew it was dangerous. Brothers and sisters, I would say to you, if you really follow God with your life, if you dare to allow God to give you a call, or even support a brother or sister within our own church that you know has a call, and you encourage them along, there is danger in following the call of God. Because it may lead you down some unpopular paths. It may challenge you to do some things you've never thought about. It may push you to spend more money on certain things that you don't want to spend money on. You'd rather spend the money on yourself. But in the story here, we can see very clearly the example was that Gideon followed the will of God. He did what he had to do. But even in following the will of God, his father realized the implications. And so when the, the, the town had friends come after come after. Gideon, and say, somebody has torn down the altar. Someone has destroyed it, and we believe it's your son. Joash 
protected to a certain degree his son. He didn't pull out a gun and start shooting because obviously they didn't have guns to shoot. But he did immediately say, are you sure that you really believe as much as you think you do about Baal? I also, I mean, I'm a main leader in this worship of Baal worship. This is my role. But even I have to admit, if tearing down that altar was that possible, that easy, and putting up a place to worship Jehovah, the God that we all know in history is Jehovah for the people of Israel. If he can't stop that from happening, maybe this Baal worship thing is not as uh, hot to trot as we thought it was. Maybe it's not as great as we thought it was going to be. If, if, if it's really something that can happen, why don't we just let Baal do what he's got to do? And see, we, you can see whether this idol really has any strength or not. Gideon was not playing games with God. He was stepping forward and saying, I'm going to be a risk taker with my life. Brothers and sisters, I, my hope for VCBC and for you is that you will become a risk taker in every way. Find God's will and do God's will. If that means it's popular, great. If it's not, great. The main key is that we're in hands of the Lord as we serve. And that's what was going on. And so we have this situation where there's this kind of struggle going on. But we look at Gideon. We have to kind of understand that it did get to Gideon's strategy at this point. What's he going to do? He knew the job was not only to tear down the altar and to put up a correct altar, but it included saving the people. Yet the people had not been saved at this point. So he began to develop his own strategy. And his strategy, the Scripture says, was to develop an army. And so he developed this nice big army. Now remember, there are 120,000 Midianites. But he developed a pretty sizable army. Had uh, 32,000 people that he had managed to, to, to muster. And as they came together to fight, everything looked like, well, we're going to be able to pull this off. But the problem was... Gideon was using his human strategy. Now, brothers and sisters, you use your human strategy every day. I do the same. It's normal. We try to figure out, well, what should I do? We start using our own minds, start trying to think, what is the wise thing to do? What is the right thing to do? What's the intelligent thing to do? God's ways are different than our ways. Sometimes what He tells us to do doesn't really seem to always make sense. I can remember in mission work meeting new people who would come and serve as missionaries. And people are always trying to define what is a missionary, what is the role. We get these new missionaries that would show up and they would come and usually they had had some pretty decent training. But from time to time you'd get one and you could tell their basic attitude was, well, where are they? We're ready. And you would, now especially on short-term missions because their training is a little bit less. And we'd say, what do you mean exactly? And they said, well, we know that people here need to come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. We've already brought the Four Spiritual Law booklet with us. 
And we've already studied it, memorized it. We're ready to go. And we know that we're going to see many, many people become Christians because they're here waiting for us to come. Uh, as you well know, brothers and sisters, there's nobody lined up in a queue overseas waiting for someone to come so they can say, teach me how to become a Christian today. They're just normal people going about life. Some are spiritually hungry, some are not. But the idea that they're just sitting around waiting for somebody to tell them about Jesus is just not always the truth. A lot of them are very, very busy in their lives and in what they're doing. The 32,000 that he had, for it was his strategy. He was ready to go. But it was not necessarily God's reality that he was bringing. You know, and the Scripture says that God said 32,000 is too many. 32,000 versus 120,000. If you won, people would say you were clever. They would say you came up with a good strategy, a good, good plan. So God says, yeah, well, I'm going to reduce that number. Do you have any of those people in that 32,000 that are fearful? And the answer, of course, was, are you kidding? These people come in as like locusts every year, taking everything we've got. We know the Midianites are mean. We've been hiding in the caves over these years. Don't, don't even ask the question. God says, okay, those that are fearful don't need to stay around. So the number was reduced immediately from 32,000 to 10. 10,000. God said, still too many. People will still say, somehow you came up with a very clever plan, so I'm going to reduce the number to 300. And the Scripture gives a kind of a story about how that happened. But he, God reduces and He says, okay, 300 verses 120,000. If you can beat them, if you can win in a battle 300 versus 120,000, no one can say anything beside God be praised. God be praised. God did it. It's, un, it's impossible that it was done by man. So we know that the strategy, somehow God is not satisfied with the number approach that we found. And so God's strategy is a total new strategy in saying, I want to get the numbers down so that it will be clearly done. Peace and failure. As we get beyond the strategy issue, we have to recognize that Gideon's story is one of missionary zeal. We know how this kind of worked. It's... He sought to be impactful with his life and he risked reputation by pushing on. He desired, you know, the people there, ultimately, they looked at how he came about the battle and what happened was, of course, the, uh, the idea of uh, planting, of uh, getting the 300 people and dividing them into three different groups, putting them on, on the different sides of the camp of the Midianites, and then they all had a, a kind of a, a pot that had a fire going on inside of it. So it's it kind of like a clay pot. If you break the clay pot, you know, it would break and the fire would come out instantly and you'd see the light in the middle of the night. And so they divided them into three groups around the camp. Everybody had the, the lamps. Everybody had a horn. 
So when they blew the horn, it sounded like the masses were coming from everywhere, even though in reality it was 300 people. And so God had His own plan for how He was going to conquer these people. And the Scripture in chapter 7 and chapter 8 goes through a description of what Gideon did and how he worked with the people of Israel and some of his own people, some of the other villages, clans, would not cooperate. Not all were his best friends in this whole endeavor. They also questioned, who are you to be leading in this thing? And yet in the end, of course, they celebrated. The, um, the, the interesting part <coughs> was the, the process as they got through it all uh, left a, a, a situation where victory had been given to the people of Israel God had been glorified. Everything, it looked like a wonderful story. And at that point, if we could just say, and they all lived happily ever after, it would have been a great story. The bad part is, the story did not end with happily ever after. You know, we all like scriptures that will come together and wrap up nicely. You know, one of the, I guess all of us have... have struggled through the book of Job. I, for me, the book of Job has always been a great blessing because it talks about all the suffering, the difficulties of life, the struggles in life, and Job going through things that you or nor I have ever experienced. And yet in the end, it all falls together, and God says, and they were blessed. But if you look at the end of chapter 8, looking at what he went through, talking about Gideon, it did not come out and happily ever after. And everyone, everyone went off singing in the rain. That didn't happen. What we find in chapter 8 was a very difficult day. You know, remember that the people of Israel at this point were rainy day followers of God. You know, in the early part of the Scripture, in verses 1 to 12, there's a Scripture in there. It says they got frustrated enough in about verse 7, I think it is, where it says that they were so frustrated with the Midianites that they prayed and talked to God and asked for help. You know, I don't know how you are, but I'll tell you about me. I unfortunately sometimes see myself there. When everything's kicking along pretty well, you kind of, uh, hey, these are great days. Yeah, how things, oh, things are going great. Thank you. You know, and everything's good. But every now and then you get to verse 6 or 7 there. I think it's verse 7 says they got so frustrated that they prayed and then they asked for God to help, to intervene. You know, we ought to ask for God to intervene in our lives every day, every minute. The Scripture says pray without ceasing. Walk with God that closely so that we don't just depend on Him as the one that jumps in when we have a need. God shouldn't be our need. When we get together to pray, how often do you get together with people and all we pray about are the sad things or difficulties that other people are having or maybe that we're having? You know, that's part of the prayer process is to just give praise that we get to walk with God. And yet, it's often not reflected and certainly was not reflected by these people. And so we get down toward the end of this and we look at Gideon. And Gideon's been so successful that the people of Israel say, wow, we had victory over the Midianites. 
120,000 of them with only 300 people. Did we scare them off? We had all these other clans that came together. We have reunited in our identity. Now we're going to focus on Jehovah. We're going to worship correctly because Gideon has given us that new direction and that reminder that indeed on the roller coaster it's possible to be at the top. So exciting time. Great news. Problem. They, they ask him and they say, you know, uh, would you be at all interested in becoming our king? And of course, Gideon says, no. He says, I don't need to be your king. We already have a king. We have the king. Jehovah God is our king. Now, that part sounds very, very accurate. That part's very good. It's very humble. Praise God. I, I respect that very, very much. But there are a couple of other things that happen, and I'll leave that to you to read through as you have time. In chapter 8, uh, he actually makes um, uh, something called an ephod that, uh, out of gold that he gets from all the people, puts it together as a kind of worship opportunity. Uh, he's trying to say, thank you, God, for what you've done. But unfortunately, these people kind of remind me of some people that I've known in South America where we've worked previously that get a little bit confused and they start worshiping the object instead of God. And so they had this, this ephod, this thing made, and, and there are different opinions as to whether the ephod was something he wore or whether it was something that he just placed in front of the people. But it says that he left it in the city where he came from. So if he's got this little gold thing that's been created and the people began to worship the gold thing, the ephod. They got confused again. I guess it's a discipleship issue. I guess it's a question of how mature they were in their walk with God. And see, the reason I mention it is I'm having to ask the question of you and me. You know, the truth is, the question needs to be, how often do we read the Scripture not because I'm trying to fulfill the needs of my Sunday school teacher or my fellowship leader, or anyone else, but because I'm so hungry to have fellowship with God. The discipleship, the maturity, they were, it was somehow lacking because they got confused again. Again, the roller coaster. Confusion. How do I follow God with my life? And so, still though, we can watch and we see that they had 40 years, good years, while... Gideon was around. He was not their king, but he was there to give them some direction, give them some opinion. He focused on God and what he was doing. And I'm sure that he died as a very content individual, feeling like he had done something significant. And indeed, he did. Unfortunately, as I say, the story doesn't end there because the story goes on to explain after he died, they reverted right back to Baal worship. Right back where they were in the first place. It is always a danger. It is a danger to His people. It's a danger to our church. Let us learn from our experiences. Let us focus on God through everything. As we look at what He went through, He struggled with all of these issues. He guided things and He still felt like He had done a good job and in fact, 
In the end, I'm not sure he was as much a hero as he would have liked to have been. A number of years ago, we had a missionary named Carl Gutzloff. Now, this was several hundred years ago. He was a German missionary that served in China. Now, for you to hear me mention China is probably not a great shock um, because it's very hard for me to talk without mentioning it. But Carl Gutzloff was um, one who had a great respect for the Word of God, the Scriptures. And so he had worked out a situation where he could print out Bibles. And they got all these Bibles printed. And he would get these boxes of Bibles, pass them on to some local believers. And then it was the responsibility of these people, that, to the local believers, to take these in and distribute the Bibles. Well, it was working really well. And they were distributing more and more Bibles. And he was printing more. And they were carrying it out. And everything was going great until a time came a few years in when he learned the truth. And the truth was the people who were there to distribute the Bibles were actually taking the Bibles back around the circle, giving it to the printing company, and the printing company didn't have to print new Bibles because they just passed them on in front of him to those people again. And so they were making money, the workers were making money, everybody was making money, and no one was getting the Word of God. It was a circle, but an unhealthy circle. I mention this to say we live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. Uh, it's very difficult to always know what to do. In Gideon's case, I understand that he didn't know always what to do. And sometimes you are the same. You're doing the best you can. You're trying to find a focus on God. And yet, somehow, the challenge is just overwhelming. The thing that I want us to look at Gideon and understand is, even though as a hero he did see some failure in his life, the long-term result was they went right back to their idol worship. The challenge for you and me is to ask ourselves, is there any danger in my life that I'm playing games with God? I have to ask that of myself. I hope you'll ask it of yourself. Is there any chance that I may feel everything is going fine when in fact things may not be as good as I think they are? Our goal here when we come together is to be honest with each other. As we worship our Father, our goal is to ask ourselves, how can I be a better servant of my Lord? I think if we had had an opportunity to talk to Gideon two years before he passed on and could have reminded him that discipleship is important, that his people may not be quite as deep in their walk as they think they are, he might have changed a few things. My prayer for us, is that we can realize who we are and realize what God wants to do with us now and make adjustments as needed so that never will God be able to look at us and to say, if you'd have changed a little earlier, I could have used you even more effectively in serving you.
Father God, we come to you today with a humble spirit of recognizing that none of us have all the answers. Father, we ask that we might be hungry to walk with you so closely that our prayer life would not be only an emergency. That our prayer life would be something that would be of value and praise to you. Just that you have called us and placed your hand on our lives. Father, we do ask that we would have clarity of the job description of life that you've given us. Help us have the clarity that Gideon presents and have the courage to find your strategy, not our own. Father, help us to know what it is to walk with you. Help us to have a sense of confidence that walking with you will have eternal value and eternal results. In Jesus' name.